Hansi, and welcome back to the new and improved podcast. I'm your host, the often imitated, never duplicated, Albert. Actually, what I wanted to call this podcast was Albert all the time, but it never passed screening, aka my friends that I ran it by and they hated it. So uh, just know that if you don't like the new and improved name, there was a better name, Albert, all the time. So genius. It was actually a name that I came up with when I, was, I met another Albert who was actually Taiwanese who worked in, a, in the industry and I met him down at a conference and we said if we were going to quit, we could join up to our forces and call our agency Albert. Okay. Um, thanks in advance to all the people who've already donated or going to donate to my Sanctum Survivor Challenge, my homeless challenge where I got to go live on the street at the end of May for 36 hours in hopes of raising funds and awareness to the Sanctum group of homes because that is a very, very important um, place for HIV people who are in hospice or mothers who have HIV or new mothers who have HIV. Very, very heavy stuff. And if you want to donate still to my campaign, please do and, and share it with your friends. It is just search Sanctum Survivor Saskatoon and you'll be able to follow the links all the way to my face where hopefully you can donate some money. I got some heavy hitters, heavy hitters that are also in this year's uh, Sanctum Survivor Challenge. We're talking about the president of the university, uh, the chief of police, uh, the CEO of the whole health authority, some people who are very well connected and, and seemingly on the elite level of Saskatoon. So um, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage, so I'm calling in favors from all my friends and maybe some listeners. Can you just donate a little bit to my Sanctum Survivor Challenge? And I will be forever grateful. Anyways. Thank you for listening to this podcast because I know um, there are so many different podcasts out there. The barrier to entry for podcasting is so extremely low that uh, I'm just thankful that everybody is, uh, is tuning in. But just know that one day this will all come to an end and we don't know when. So cherish every episode like it is the last, people. Anyways, um, today... I have a very, very special episode. I oh, mean, I say that for everything. I, and this is just another episode. But it's of a very special person in my life, and he's one of my closest friends. His name is Jordan Wapass. And uh, Jordan was actually just couch surfing at my place over the weekend, and I thought it'd be good to just record one of our discussions. He actually is one of the early investors to the podcast, for those of you who don't know. He bought me my second microphone and said that we were to split all the earnings going forward. And jokes on him, there are none. So... Anyways, Jordan, this guy's an onion, man. I've known him for over 20 years, and the longer I've gotten to know him, the more I've been able to uncover his crazy past. Uh, from growing up poor on the west side of Saskatoon to moving across Canada, all the way to getting his master's degree and becoming the executive director for one of the largest First Nations in Canada. Um, so very, very highly respected uh, First Nations leader in Canada now. But to me, he's just butthead. Uh, he's always just been butthead, so it's kind of fun to have him just take away his his work persona and go back to the guy that I knew when we first met uh, 20 years ago. Uh, anyways, it was just good for us to catch up, dig a little bit deeper into his life and find out what his next crazy journey is because uh, it could take him anywhere. I honestly think that a guy like him could be the next Prime Minister of Canada, and I think we'd all be better if he was. So with that, hopefully you enjoy my interview with Mr. Jordan, Gordon, Butthead, Wapass. 
about it. My problem, my problem is that I just can't drink Perrier or um, what's that? Sam, the Pellegrino. Is that what it's called? No, it'd be Pellegrino. Pellegrino. Yeah. Hey, is San Pellegrino and Pellegrino the same company? Is there a San Pellegrino? Yeah, that's the one with the orange, the, the orange lemons. And, yeah, okay. And then the, just the water on its own in the bottles, I think is just called Pellegrino. I just realized that. Man. Are you? We should... We need, like, someone here to, like, verify these things. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to... Sometimes I could Google it. Well, you know what? I could always edit it out, but it's Pellegrino, Pellegrino, Pellegrino drink so pellegrino oh yeah one's called san pellegrino oh that's the same logo yeah san pellegrino san pellegrino is like the pop that i like but for some reason because it looks like healthier i don't think it's orange crush but it straight up is orange crush and then pellegrino is the big one that looks like more of a champagne i didn't know that did you no but you made me when as soon as you said orange crush you made me think of something that um, I used to drink as a kid and actually I found in Edmonton that one time and it was the Tahiti treat. Oh yeah. And before I left, um, the city a few years ago, I, I said, Hey Albert, do you, you want gave this, me do you want this 12 pack of Tahiti, Tahiti treat? treat? That stuff is nuclear. Eh? It, like, is. it is yeah. so strong, but it's so good. And it's funny that nobody tried to mimic that flavor cause it's very unique. It's not, sorry. It's not called Tahiti treat anymore. It's Tahitian treat. There you go. Yeah. Cause so somebody must've had the rights and they wouldn't sell it so they created virtually the same can just more just more nuclear yeah and at at the time in the 80s and 90s tahiti treat was a staple in every pop machine i can't remember it was probably a coke machine yeah and it was pink like pretty neon pink it didn't take taste like cream soda it just had like a good like it was a very fulfilling flavor but then came back few years ago as tahitian treat yeah but it was expensive probably i'm assuming yeah yeah um did you know was there i feel like there was a diet tahitian treat Oof, not even i don't want why, would you, why would you do that i know if you're already doing tahiti treat you're, like yeah you're basically thrown in the towel yeah. like. um that's interesting the tahitian treat you know what i was thinking the other day like people don't really get that coke is like not a naturally occurring thing, but now it's like the staple flavor that we have. Like Coca-Cola or just cola flavor is like a flavor, like grape, orange, and cola. We don't give it that much credit to know that this. we just accept it, that Coke or the cola flavor is a something you would be like, what does that taste like? Oh, it tastes kind of like Coke. And you know what? Kids now, like millennials, mm-hmm. that's, you know, they won't know really a time. I mean, actually, Coke's been around for like 100 years, right? I think even more, maybe. Yeah, so, it, yeah, you're right. Coke flavor, it's just, we just accept it. But nobody seems to drink Coke anymore. Any young person seems like they're drinking water or La Croix. Have you seen, you hang out with different people. Like, I feel like, especially with the store, I'm just seeing, like, the absolute entitled millennials all the time. And uh, I, I remember the story that Asif and I were working at a store, and one of his employees, who was 18, looked like an Abercrombie guy. He was working at the store, and he just looked like the future kid who's slim. You know, ever notice that when we were young, people had the skinny, fat body? Yeah. And there's only one guy who was jacked, and he was, like, overly jacked. But nobody else was, like, ripping six-packs. Nowadays, it's just kind of common. Everybody has a slim body. And I remember just talking to him, and I thought, oh, this guy's kind of like the, the millennial of the future. Probably he's even younger. I think he was 18 or 19. And then my sister came in and said, hey, I'm going to Arby's, guys. Do you want something to eat? 
And Asif and I were like, yeah, for sure. Get me like everything off the menu. And then we said, hey, man, do you want to do you want something to eat from Arby's? And it was like two o'clock. And he goes, oh, no, man, I had a, uh, a chia seed uh, shake this morning and it should hold me over. <laughs> and, and I looked at Asif and I'm like, nobody would have ever said that when we were 18. And here's the thing. That's the good thing about youth is that they're eating healthy, supposedly. Um, and I think that there's like they're, they do actually have a better understanding of diets than we did. Oh, I mean, I could play devil's advocate and say, yeah, maybe. But then we have people eating Tide Pods, you know, yeah. you know, so there's that. But here's here in the other in the guy's defense. Like, let's be honest. Isn't Arby's isn't the greatest, right? If you're gonna pick a fast food joint, and I always think of that Simpsons episode. Simpsons episode, I was gonna say. Right? That Simpsons episode must have undid so much brand equity. And we can say it. It was what, what was the line? Camp- what were, was the line? They were yeah. camping and it was like a camping trip, and they were starving because they something happened to their food. And then one kid goes, no, I'm it's twins. Sherry and the, Terry. Sherry and Terry. And then yeah. they said I'm so, they kept on going, I'm so, I'm starving. And one person said, I'm so hungry, I could eat at Arby's. And the entire group went, oh, <laughs> you must be hungry. And I didn't eat at Arby's because at the time, because I was in Supercurrent and the city didn't have an Arby's. So it immediately painted them as a second class fast food joint, didn't it for you? Yeah. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't, I haven't ever been to Arby's. No. Yeah. In your life, yeah, they actually. I just went to Har- I just went to Harvey's, like recently. Oh, Harvey's and Arby's. Not, they, no, 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 I'm just saying, like, yeah. I guess first, I mean, I for I some reason that they're related. Just, yeah. oh, Harvey's is totally separate. Harvey's is in Cornwall. We went to it because they had the Harvey's Swiss Chalet, oddest combo. You can get like a rack of ribs and a, like a fast food hamburger. And I mean, for the listeners out there, like this, like this venue was really weird. It's like a scene from like a Tarant- Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Movie. I still have yeah. that photo that I took of you. That was awesome. That you're by yourself in this orange <laughs> and red sea of Harvey's Swiss Chalet. They have not updated the decor since. No, but it's you think it's kind of weird that you can get like fast food hamburger and French fries, and then just skip over and ask for like a rack of ribs. You know, I only just started going to Swiss Chalet. Like as a kid, we never went. It yeah. was like fancy food. Yeah. And when we ate there the, that, that night, it, I mean, we're, we're, it sounds like we're knocking on, you know, knocking down fast food joints, but the, it kind of tastes ru- like a little rubbery, right? Did you well, notice that? Yeah. I remember eating at Swiss Chalet in an airport and thinking, oh, that was my first intro to it. And I thought it was decent, but I didn't think that it was ever going to be a fast food style place. Um, but even Andrew, he said that he thought when he was young, Swiss Chalet was a very high end restaurant. Do you remember the jingle from the 80s no, or 90s? No, no. It was Swiss Chalet, always so good for, for so, so little. little. Yeah, okay, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, course, of course. Yeah, and I always, you know what the weirdest thing is, man? I've never been to Swiss Chalet until I was like in my late 20s. I was building a deck when I was 14, and I remember watching a Swiss Chalet commercial before I went to go build the deck for this guy. Mm-hmm. And the word Creole sauce, they had a Creole sauce. Mm -hmm. And the word Creole sauce was in my head for the entire day. And it was almost driving me bonkers. I I literally just kept on repeating the words Creole sauce just from that advertisement. I had no idea why I didn't even know what it was. But it stuck with me that one day. And I just remember going, man, remember that day you just couldn't get the word Creole sauce out of your head? 
it's it was bananas. So then I think it has to do with that like that sound. But I don't know why. Because I think like if you like this sound weird. I think when you name dogs, you're supposed to kind of look for that sort of name like with an X or a K, because they learn it faster. The dogs do. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So what are your dogs named again? Wendell. Wendell and, and Blue. Blue. So neither. <laughs> Well, no, because we, we didn't, there was nothing that really, you know, Lex Luthor was already taken and, you know, all, all the cool names. So we thought we'd go a little bit, yeah, you know, sidestep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyways. Anyway. Sidebar. That was interesting to go back in time and talk about the Creole sauce from Swiss LA. You know what? You're unemployed. Yes, I'm unemployed. Yeah, you're unemployed right now. How does it feel? <laughs> to be honest with you, it feels, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on a level because for the, like for the entire, like since I've been 16, I've been working and we're coming up on 20 years. And this is literally the first time I've had a few months just off. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we talked about was like n- having a safety net. Right? And I, I've said to you before that I feel like I've been walking this tightrope, like, and a lot of us are, you know, on, on our journeys. And I just feel like I've never had a net. Like if I fell, you know, I would be caught. Yeah. I, I've been walking this tightrope for so long and obviously you get agile, you get nimble and all that. But now at this point in my life, I'm like, I actually can take a little bit of time off and it's okay. You're not out to hustle. We have a wife who's working. You've built up a little bit of a nest egg so you can kind of live a few months without having to work. Yeah. And it's probably a great feeling. And you yeah. have properties yeah. in Vancouver. You have one here. You know, it's funny to look back and just go in, in 35 years. That's not bad. It's not too good. bad. Yeah, not too shab. Yeah, that's the funny thing. You could always look up, eh? You could always look up at the next person who has more than you and realize and be a little bit nervous or anxious about your position in life. But then if you sit back and go, you know, I've done okay. I think too many people look upwards and you don't look down. And I mean not look down in a, a negative way, yeah. but look down in the sense of just appreciating what you have. I think I was, I mean, I've been talking to a lot of friends and, and, you know, people in my network. And I think a lot of the, um, what I've learned is that a lot of us are status, um, you know, searching, like we want the promotion. For sure. Yeah. We want to take that next step. Power. Yeah. Power. And, and, power and, and I think, and, and I mean, I'm not going to say I, I don't create, I don't want that or cause I'd be lying, but I think, you know, having being a you know having a being relatively young, and you know having you know like director roles, uh, I've learned a lot about power, and it's it's not all that it's you know that you think it is. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a friend. I said, you know what, just enjoy like just enjoy your work, um, you know, enjoy your work life balance. Try to create that because when you you know, as you climb that corporate ladder, that time with family and, and other things, it kind of dwindles. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like this nest. It's, it's a, um, it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. And that's something that I learned in my, during my, like in my career to this point, mm-hmm. like I put on like 40 pounds, um, no, muscle, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, muscle memory. No. Um, so a lot you of weight yourself up the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> And, you know, I think, I mean, I could have, like, I could have just went to the gym and, but there's, I always found a reason to not go like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. tired. I don't, you know, I, you know, I had a long day today and I'll go tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'll just go tomorrow. And I just kept pushing these things off. And next thing you know, I look one day, my wife says, I just got to tell you. 
and I love you, um, but you're you're fat. <laughs> and then you know what she did to me? This is the this is the best and the worst thing that she's ever done to me. I was like just getting out of the shower, you know, just putting my clothes on. Vulnerable, very vulnerable, <laughs> extremely vulnerable. And you know what she does? I'm not looking. I'm not looking. And all of a sudden, I hear footsteps. I could hear them behind me, and I don't hear them anymore for like a, a, a second, you know, a split second. And all of a sudden, boom, she lands on my back. And she's like, like piggyback, like I'm piggybacking yeah. her. And she starts pretending to throw punches at my head. And she goes, look at me, I'm fighting obesity. <laughs> That's terrible. That's savage. It is. And then, and then I was like, you know what? I, I, I got to... <laughs> I got to do something, man. I got to... Fighting obesity. <laughs> fighting obesity is what she said. Wow. She's really personifying that then, yeah? She... <laughs> I do remember you told me that one time she saw a photo of you when you are younger. <laughs> what did she say? Oh, you got a... You have a jawline. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not even that big. You're oh, like... You're 200 pounds. She, she's ruthless. She is she ruthless. She is ruthless. But what would you... Okay, what would you Lovingly do? ruthless. Yeah. Would you ever throw that back? What would happen if she gained a few pounds and you said something like that? Well, I could... T- <laughs> that would be devastating. You couldn't just lightly jab at a girl's weight. Yeah, I think that's... that's. Yeah, I... Have you I, ever thrown it back and said, Hey, like, where's the double standard here? You know what? Yes. And this is where I'll say this. She's very uh, rational and very, very logical. So I said, you know, this... Let's just flip the script here. She goes... You're right. I'm sorry. And I was like, yeah. Imagine, okay, imagine she's going to, she's in a group of girlfriends. And she said, yeah, you know what my boyfriend did to me? He jumped on my back, started fake punching my head, and said, I'm fighting obesity. (laughs) Could you imagine? I know. Like, the girlfriends would just, you'd be enemy number one. I would be, wouldn't I? That just, you would also sound like the hugest asshole. But yet. I would sound abusive. That is kind of abuse, but you can, you're also unbreakable, so you can make fun of you as much. As, yeah, I suppose, yeah. But, yeah, but it, what would happen if you just cried? She probably would have stopped and felt bad. She still loves you. She's still a good person. But, again, she probably cares about you because, you know, there's probably 80% that she's worried about just your general health, and, and you want to see somebody healthy. And then the other 20% is like, yeah. Do you want your partner to be slimmer and better shape? Of course. Yeah. Like, and I hate how we have to always dance around that for some reason. It's like, no, I'm, I, I'm blind. You, any shape is fine with me. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, maybe that works in a certain eight weight range. But if you're like adding 20 pounds to a 150 pound frame, it's noticeable. Yeah. And that's not what you signed up for. Or 40 pounds to a 170 pound frame. <laughs> <laughs> What, what do you want to get down to? Um, I think I want to get down, and I will get down to 185. Yeah, so yeah. I was 218. I'm around 200 right now. And I I think by the end of summer, because I'm doing it three to four pounds a month. Yeah, and I that's healthy. Get, I could get, yeah, I could get down to 185. And do you I think, think your body's happy. gotten to that point where you're like going to have like just weird skin? No, no, I don't think I'm there. No, I don't think you're there no. either. But no. you've been this. it feels like you've been this size for the last like, Six seven years, probably. Are you actually obese on the obese? I scale? think if like like body mass index, I would be. I'm really? obese. Yeah, of course, I'm I'm obese. Yeah, I should be like, according to that scale, or that index, I should be like, 150 pounds. Well, when you're for 18, five, nine. when you're 18, that's almost like half your life. 
how heavy were you when you were wrestling Huskies? Uh, I would have been a hundred and f- I would have cut down to like 142, 143 pounds it, for that week. 39 to 139 to 142 in there. Wow. But that's, that's a totally different year. Yeah. But you know, I'm walking around at 155 and then I'm cutting 12 pounds. Yeah. You know, 13 pounds here and there. Yeah. For, for fight. Ugh. Yeah. Man, I don't miss those days. That's for sure. Like I was minus 54 kilograms last time I probably fought. Anything. So what is that? So that'd be 2.2. That was 100. like 120 pounds, 125 pounds. Okay. But you're small, right? I was probably a little bit shorter, but I'm 175 now. Yeah. So I'm 50 pounds heavier than when I fought, but. Mostly muscle. Muscle. Yeah. <laughs> muscle memory. Um, anyways, how would you describe what you are right now? If you were trying to describe somebody for like a job or like, what would your LinkedIn say? Like, cause you've obviously had pretty high profile jobs being the executive director of uh, First Nations in Saskatchewan with how many employees and how many people in that community? Yeah, so um, I was the director of op- operations for Thunderchild. Yeah. Um, total population of 3,000 on and off reserve and the, the uh, number of employees around 100, 100, 110. So you're top dog there other than, other than the chief. And then, then you moved over to... Um, Muskeg, no, you went to uh, MCA, which is Mohawk Council of Aquasasne. There you go. In Cornwall, Ontario. And how many people were there? So the community is, the traditional territory is probably like around uh, twenty six to 30,000 mm-hmm. when you factor in the New York State. But if you look at just the, Amer- the Canadian side, Quebec and Ontario, it's around uh, twelve to 14,000. Okay. And how and many that- employees? Uh, depending on the season, you're looking at seven sixty to a thousand. So up to a thousand. So seasonal workers. Yeah. And would you say that fifty percent of those people knew who you were? Yeah, I yeah, I think so. After yeah. two years, they, I think they so. Know. Yeah. Do you think they were had issue with you probably being not a Mohawk? That because you were Cree, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you see? Do you see that as often? in in first nation communities that they have non-member leaders yeah you do actually Uh, it's not an uncommon thing um i think with mca and by the way like what a fantastic organization like i really enjoyed every minute there is amazing um you're gonna have people that don't like you yeah right and the sooner you uh make peace with that um, you know, the, the better you're going to do your job. Because if you're going to be a people pleaser, it ain't going to work, right? Yeah. And, and I, I, I need to be sensitive because I like sometimes, especially being a minority, I don't, I don't know what offends other minority groups. But the one thing I've noticed working with First Nations group is that the politics are just as polarizing as any other place, is that you have a chief who's in charge or a chief who's in power, and there's a whole set of families who are vying for their guy. And it can get pretty messy. In, in in the history of uh, some of those politics and yeah. uh, so regardless of who, who like what government you're in there's always gonna be one person who wants their people in right of course but that's just like in general politics but it, it runs so it runs deep into the families what i've noticed in in first nation communities is that accurate yeah i mean yeah it is to a large extent i think uh, a lot of the successful candidates you know, they, they will, ha- their family will come out and vote. It's just like, you know, the Liberal Party of Canada, like they have their families and lineage. Yeah, and, and yeah. they'll vote, they'll yeah. vote that way, right? I, I presume. Um, but in community, it's, it's the leaders that really 
um, it's, it's really not like it's, it's not unlike anywhere else. Mm -hmm. If you can convince the, uh, the electorate that, you know, you will be the change agent or you're going to bring this, you're, you're about accountability, transparency. People generally really like to see, like to hear that stuff and they like to see that stuff. Mm -hmm. So yes, family for sure, but you have to have a good platform mm -hmm. and it has to make sense and you have to be good with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, um, that's really important. So that's what I've seen is from what, from what I've witnessed, uh, those are who, those are the successful candidates, the ones that listen to the people, the ones that take time out of their schedule, the ones that treat it like they're an entrepreneur, right? They don't just have business hours. Yeah. They're always, always on, on the go, always on. Yeah. You're speaking like you're potentially going to make a run at some office. No. <laughs> at all. So what do you consider yourself then? What do you, right now, if your LinkedIn profile would say is like, your title or job uh, description? What would my job description, like my title right now? Or would just Yeah, if you're going to be like young, upstart entrepreneur looking for a fresh new challenge or what would be yours? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's something like what Albert hasn't mentioned is that I've been couch surfing on, at his place for the last three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and and one of the one of the big one of the major reasons that I came home because I live in Ottawa now was to, to sort of find an answer to that question. Like, what do I want to do? And You could go anywhere, really. He, yeah, and I think, uh, I think, I'll be honest, I'm definitely interested in the digital space mm -hmm. and renewable energy. Hmm. I think that those two things um, can really not only, not only have a benefit for Canadians, but for Indigenous people. So, but with, this, with a still focus on the Indigenous First Nations world. That is my, I would say that's my you area think, of expertise. Do you think you're you're bound to just keep working in that industry or being a bridge between, but still focusing on advancing the uh, the world of First Nations? Yeah, so my heart and my soul are dedicated to mm -hmm. the, you know, like the indigenous cause. Right, so. But I wouldn't say that I'd be typecast. I could work anywhere, mm -hmm. you know, provided that, you know, I, I and I, this sounds so cliche, but I really actually want to make a difference. And... Boring. <laughs> no, that's it's and it's true. The one thing I was, oh, we've we've talked about this in the past is how like when I first met you, you had like blonde hair. You're fairly, you have like green eyes. You're fairly fair. You're like yeah. paler than I am. Yeah. So you you know people mention that you don't look First Nations at all, and uh, how much of a an advantage or a challenge or how has that played in kind of the story arc of your career? That's a really f fascinating and loaded question. Um, but you it's asked me it, to ask you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're reading right off the card though. No. I'm going to be honest. I didn't know he's going to ask me that. So <laughs> that's a really fascinating question because I find it difficult to be honest with you because a lot of the times when I was, you know, growing up, People wouldn't, you know, like you said, I don't look First Nations. indigenous, yeah. right? Um, so I would hear racism. I would hear a blatant and overt racism. What did a, a story where you kind of oh, really you know, just with you? just in high school and people saying, "Oh, look at those Indians over there. They're probably, you know, they're, they, you know, they're probably gonna, they're probably drinking." Does that? Or, ha does that? <laughs> you think that's how kids talk now? <laughs> You make it sound like you're like reenacting like it's what, like really know? those really bad like don't do drug commercials. <laughs> exactly. They're probably <laughs> drinking over there. It's like, no, but um, it just happens so often. You think I would imagine it happens all the time. Like I'm like 
visible minority and yeah. people often forget that they should probably watch what they say about other culture around me because yeah. I feel like I'm just don't don't be racist to my race just around me don't be ra- racist to any race around me because I'm sensitive to all races that are print, like marginalized no no for, you know what for sure I the best way I can describe it is like I kind of walk two worlds like cuz you know I don't I don't look indigenous but in my heart and, and who I am and, and my soul, I'm, I am. But and that's who I am. You you know we've had a lot of time to talk in the last three weeks because you were just sitting on the couch. <laughs> that that's not true, man. I know, I, I know, know but, once in a while I go to McDonald's. You, you, you told me <laughs> stories that uh, made me think. Okay, yeah, I knew you when you were eighteen and up, and all I know is really you hanging out with me, and you've been really cagey growing up between I would say eighteen and twenty five and twenty seven or even thirty. About your past, yeah, and you know you have been like you want to ask you about your middle name and all these different things, and because you've you've definitely had way more challenges than any of my friends, and I don't I don't know if you were embarrassed, you just didn't want to share it, or you just didn't trust us yet, but you definitely didn't talk about your your past and your like the whole fact that your uncles were a couple that were broken up, you know, all those kind of little interesting stories, we had to like peel. Peel like, the layers. Peel the layers yeah, just to get yeah. to. You know, I think, uh, like, I've experienced a lot of trauma. And I didn't want, the way I was dealing with it, it's probably not healthy, was, you know, just to keep it and not burden people or, like, you know, share my dysfunction. That's how I used to think. And, and what you'll notice now is that we talk more. And I just tell you. I'll say, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the trauma. This is the dysfunction. This exists, and I still deal with it. However, over time, and as I've grown and matured, and you know, become more confident, I've learned to manage it. Well, I think you also know that that's part of your story. Yeah, and it's it's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to know that you look how far you've come. Yeah, with all the challenges and some of the stories you told me. Yeah, I just can't relate. And it's almost like, I don't know if you're exaggerating, but it just sounds so unreal. Like the one that you're talking about, just being around your family when you see them making moonshine in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah, it does sound exact. It, it does sound like um, hi- like a hyperbole, yeah. a gross exaggeration. And no, that's that's been my experience. Like, you know, seeing that. Um, one of the things that most people don't know is that I couch surfed in high school for a year. Mm-hmm. like staying at different family members homes and and still getting to that bus stop and getting to evan hardy every single day mm-hmm. and then going to wrestling practice because one of the things that i i knew that i i didn't have was like that consistency and i created it and i created that with wrestling and wrestling provided that discipline you were accountable and you were you had to be responsible because you had teammates mm-hmm. you know and ultimately you you can't miss a tournament right because People are counting on you. The team is counting on you. So that really, really, honestly, really helped. And soccer. And you said that um, you were on a team that the families of the other yeah. teammates paid your dues. So there's one. That was when I was 16. I just I told the team. I said, "Hey guy," and I didn't tell them. I just said, "I'm not going to play this year." And they're like, "Well, why not?" I'm like, "I'm not going to play." But they must have known because I got a phone call from one of the uh, the, the guys. His mom called me and said. Um, we're, we're, we've already taken care of your fees. Uh, you're going to play this year. I was like, right on. So she would drive from Silver Spring or wherever they, I think they live in Silver Spring. They would drive to the hood, Avenue F, to the 200 block of Avenue of South 
that come pick me up to go to games. Who was that? So you can give her some shout outs. <laughs> can I, can I, I can mention her Pretty name, sure. right? Because she did something amazing. Her yeah. name? That It's Lahoma, Lahoma Dillon. Yeah. Yeah. She, and actually, you know what? I saw her son in Home Depot two years ago. His name's Austin. And I said, hey, how's it going? It's really good to see you and, and chat. Uh, right after that, I sent his mom a message on Facebook. I told Jill about the whole story. She goes, oh my God. You gotta talk. You gotta send her a message. You gotta tell her like the impact she's made on your life. You fat bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. So I sent, I sent her, I sent her this like I think it was a really nice message, and she sent me this really heartwarming message, and it was just like, man, did it that's bring a, a tear that's to your a eye? good, yeah, it did. Yeah, like because it kind of like brought me back to the to those days and that trauma, right? I'm like, oh man, that was really tough. But uh, but yeah, you never. It's, it's, you never mentioned that, you know, growing up, especially when we knew you, I think when you're young, you're always just trying to fit in. Right. And you just want to look like everything's normal. And like the weird thing is that you were really popular and you dated like popular girls and you try to fit in as much as possible. Did you ever feel, did you always feel like an outsider? At the oh time? yeah, absolutely. And did you, were you somewhat bitter that you just look at all these guys who have seemingly, you know, good family family homes and structures and it and you probably craved it and just wish that maybe you had that at times or I don't know I wouldn't say bitter because I would probably say I wish my circumstance was a bit better mm -hmm. but I'll work towards that and that was sort of like my driving force was like I'm gonna my sort of mantra was I gotta get out the hood mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna get out I'm gonna get out I'm gonna get out and then everything was like a milestone it's like let me just make sure I do well in grade 11. Mm -hmm. Let me do well in grade 12. Let me finish. And then when I get to university, that's when things are going to really change. And actually, that's when really that's when things really started to change for me. Mm -hmm. It's really funny that I think about our friendship. And it was, it's kind of love-hate because we try to make each other's lives harder just because we're kind of assholes to each other. And I never, and like, there's times where I just yeah. was so upset at you how lazy you were to me sometimes, or you would just like not call or you would not um, show up on time. And I never once thought it was a, like a racial thing. I was just like, no, this is just two guys trying to make each other's lives no. harder. Because yeah. it got to the point where we were always so late that I was just like, screw you. I'm not going to be on time. And so I started doing exactly what you're doing. You'd be like, hey, man, you come picking me up? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm just I'm just leaving. And I haven't even like got off. <laughs> or you'd be like, well, hey, we're, we've got a table, man. Are you are you coming? And it's like, oh, yeah, I would text and go, hey, man. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm just parking. I'm finding parking. And I'd still be at home. Yeah. And you do the same thing back to you're me. A t you're a jerk, man. I, well, you, that's but I, your trick. Yeah, that wasn't. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but you've been better now lately. Yeah. Now, now that you have like an Apple Watch, you're <laughs> easily textable, and I know that there's no way you're not getting my oh, text. Speaking of that, I gotta I gotta share a really funny story. So, again, Jill, I my wife, I called her the other day, and she was at home, and she goes, "I just want to tell you something. Right now, my watch is ringing, my iPad is ringing, my phone is ringing, and the laptop is ringing. So if I don't ever answer your call, it's because I'm mad at you." <laughs> Because I got no reason. There's no way. There's no you reason why. From yeah. That. And it's always funny. You can't ghost close friends anymore who know what devices you have. And you know, and we also know your patterns. Like, oh, I you know, know you look at your phone. Yeah. So I know you're like, you are. And you have those friends who keep their phone in there. Like, my sister, like, maybe doesn't have many friends. I don't know. Like, but she keeps her phone in her purse. She's not very around it. So, like, if I text her, 
I know I'm not getting a, a response maybe that's back true. within a half yeah, an hour. Yeah, that's true. But you, I know that you're accessible, like, especially now. When you were working, I'm like, okay, he's probably in a meeting or whatever. But now there's no excuse. You're not in a meeting. You're just, you're cleaning, you're lying on a coach, or you're driving your bro somewhere. Yeah. So. what? A, oh, yeah, what a life. But you haven't really bunked out on me too much. You haven't done the, hey, I'm two minutes away and it's still 20 minutes. Oh, man, I'll tell you, that's been a lot of training over the years. Um, well, yeah, you are a lot more disciplined now that yeah. you're married. So, yeah. anyways. Cool. I don't even know where we were going with that. Well, I think, thing. I think like, let's just put a bow on it. Like, I wasn't bitter, you know, as a kid. I just wanted a better circumstance, for sure. Um, but I think a lot, there's a lot of kids that experience a lot of trauma, just really crappy hands. That, and you've that seen, dealt. like, out at the reserve, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah, you you, I you know what? I can't even think because you sh- you would show me homes, yeah, from the reserve and show me like this is actually taken like this morning and it just blew my mind. It felt like Sarajevo and the bombs just hit it. I I can't believe it. There's some homes like people like the first you know general meeting or you know band meeting where members can come out and basically ask council questions, which you know it's an an important element of democracy is being able to ask your elected officials. What's going on? What are, where are we at? Right. So, community member gets up and she's like, "You guys are going to listen to this. How come none? No. How come my home looks like this? You guys said four years ago you're going to do something. Four years before that, you said you're going to do something, and nothing's been done. And then the council said, "No, no, no. This time we're going to we're going to do something." Right. Anyway, she came to the office, and she came and saw me, and she goes, "Come over to my house. Come and see it." And I thought, you know what, for her, like one of the one of the biggest lessons that I've learned being in like these roles is employ empathy. Ask yourself why that person is sitting, put yourself in their seat and ask yourself why they're here. That'll give you a better contextual understanding and you'll empathize more for and sure. you'll be able to have a better, um, um, you'll get more out of it for them. So I said, for her to get here, you know, she wasn't ex- greatly mobile either. So that was a tremendous effort to get to my office. So I said, I'll be there when works for you. And I went to her house and I could, it was completely eye opening. Like even for you, who's, you know, experienced a lot. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. What did you see? Like the door, you know, like when you close your door, it should be, you know, there should be no space, but there'd be a space about an inch. And in order to cover that inch, they had to put old blankets and towels to cover that. I'm like, wait in the winter. Yeah, it's like this. It's in the winter. Oh, my God. Downstairs in the basement, just, you know, like holes in the wall. You know, like where the vent, um, the dryer vent, mm-hmm. like the, the duct that should yeah. be going out. Like there's just a big hole. So I'm like, rodents. It's probably just climbing here. Yeah. So you got your public health issues with potential, you know, mm-hmm. mice and whatever getting into the house. And there's overcrowding. There's two bedrooms. And there's like, how many? I was like, how many kids live here? How many people live here? It's like 12 people. And then, like, let me see the, let me see, can I see the, go check the bedroom. And there's just little tiny little beds for the little kids. And I just remember thinking, oh, man, this is, this is very difficult, you know. So, um, and she wasn't, you know, mobile. So we had to get her, we got her a ramp too. Mm-hmm. Got her a ramp and, you know, did some repairs to the home. And I just thought, how many other places does this scenario exist? This exists more, this isn't an isolated Mm-hmm. incident so that's heartbreaking one of the things that i always like in my previous role so before all of this i worked in vancouver 
um, for a uh, First Nations for the First Nations Financial Management Board. And one of our one of our roles was to uh, introduce communities to capacity building in the form of strong financial management, basically like providing policies and procedures, um, strong internal controls, um, so that you could help increase that capacity. And the, the goal of that initiative is really to help communities strengthen the, the financial management capacity so that they could um, access money through the capital markets, the mm -hmm. same way that municipalities do, so that they can use that for development, infrastructure, economic development in communities. And one of the lines that really stuck with me was, we have to shift our thinking from managing poverty to managing prosperity. And that's a completely different way of thinking because in indigenous communities, and um, I don't want to generalize because there's some really there's some really damn good ones, but we are in crisis mode. We are we are managing crisis day to day to day to day, right? And that's tough. That's draining. So what happens is like the people on the front line they experience a lot of trauma, and maybe sometimes they just get disassociated, right? Because they just deal with this. It's like this. It's almost like a Twilight Zone episode. It just keeps reoccurring and yeah, reoccurring. Again, again. And that's the cycle of poverty. And that's something that's very draining. So then, you know, that really made me think about like, well, what can we do in our communities? Like we have, to, and you know, when I say I want to make a change and I want to, you know, do these things. And I think it, you know, I'm really trying to be accountable. I'm really trying to be transparent. I'm really trying to make sure that the efforts that we put, we're, we're, we're looking at putting in systems because the people may go, but if you have those, that policy framework, those, procedure, those procedures in place, when someone leaves a role, it's not like, well, what do we do? So-and-so, like, you, you know, that, it's also a part of your risk strategy is to not have too much reliance on one person. Because if, like, say, I went there and didn't help with any systems, so I was like, well, Jordan used to do this, but he's gone now. Well, what are we going to do? Then you're back to square one. So that's why capacity building is really important in communities. So, and, you know, I really wanted to focus on that. And you felt you'd made some of those changes at Thunderchild and even at MCA. It I, feels like in the two years at MCA, it seems like you put a lot of policy in place, hired a lot of good people to yes. steer that ship. I, I mean, I would like to think so. I would like to think so. And I, and I, I definitely did. I, 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 I can leave there and I've left there with my head held high. I just remember when you first got that job, you told me, man, the public has no idea, like the battle, like they're, they're. They're complaining, like, you know, the, the regular world complaining about indigenous people. Yeah. They're complaining about something that's so tiny at, in retrospect because you told me, I have to worry about these houses that are rated to have families of four, septic for family of four. But there's families of 12 and 16 living in here and you can't even flush the toilet. And I remember you told me that and I thought, oh my God, how do you even like... Where do you even start with that? And how do that, you're right, crisis mode. Because obviously that's very unhealthy, very risky. That's like life and death too when it comes to the septic issues, right? And I thought, yeah, that's just something nobody would ever think is a challenge. But the reality is that's what's happening. And you don't have the funds to, you know, get the, the poop truck to come in yeah. enough times. There's another line that I really think of from my old boss. And he said, we... We can't look at our poverty and do nothing about it. It's hard, but we do. In, in this world, we do. You... But but if you take that that sort of approach, um, and and you buy into it, you realize that it's not just it's not going to take it's not overnight. You're not going to change, you know, a, generations of dysfunction and you know just a, a, a raw deal, mm -hmm. which is why like 
you know, bringing in accountability, you know, and that the community has a big responsibility too. It's not just enough to rely. And again, I'm stealing a lot of lines from El Bas, but because it really stuck with me. He said, we also can't continue to rely on the generosity of the crown. And he said it a little bit sarcastically, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's the, you know, that's the funding relationship. But, you know, like the provinces through equalization uh, payments have a funding relationship too. So it's not just indigenous communities getting money from the feds. Yeah. You know, the have-nots are paying for that. Yeah. Or getting money from the haves. Exactly. So the uh, um, community also has their their part to play in all of this too. It's not just, well, give me money. You have a fiduciary obligation. Fidu- you know, like it's entrenched in the Constitution of Canada that um, Section 91, that Indigenous or First Nations people are a responsibility of the Crown. So it's not just a federal responsibility that, you know, you owe us money. Sure you do. But we also have a role too to play in, in, you know, in, in managing prosperity. And it's not, it's, it's, it's about creating economy. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's about creating more economic development. It's about creating jobs in the reserve. It's about creating the, that consistency. It's about making sure that our kids are educated well and that they, they leave uh, our, our school systems, you know, um, at a high standard so mm-hmm. that when they get to university, they can compete and they will compete. So when you think about First Nations standing in, in, in North America and in, especially in Canada, like what do you think ultimately you guys would be happy with? Like getting to a point of just um, being able to survive or moving up the poverty line, everybody up the poverty line. So, Or are, are people gunning to reverse the, the roles in society right now? I said, wouldn't it be weird if you went down to the States and you went to a golf course and it was all these white dudes cutting the grass and all these like Mexican guys golfing. You that sounds like you, a Jordan Peele movie. You would, ne- <laughs> <laughs> but you would never see that. I just don't. I think the system is gamed to for the successful people to keep keep winning, right? And I just can't. Even though it's probably like from a First Nation standpoint and, and the way that our history works is that reconciliation in my mind is tiny like it that still won't actually reconcile actually putting you guys in the position where we're the minorities and we're the the marginalized group we as in like i'm talking as a white person even though i'm not where you are the first class citizens because there is you can't even joke about it that it's it it is like a second class citizen kind of approach that we've had for so long I mean, again, that's a, a loaded question, but I'll I'll try and answer it very succinctly. Hopefully, that's not too offensive. I just no, no. I think I think it's good for people to maybe people have been thinking that, right? Um. F- so first of all, saying what do indigenous people want? Like that's taking a pan-indigenous approach, and it's you know you can't. I don't. Even everybody's know different. It's just like you're grouping everybody into to one. Get, yeah. To say, oh, you guys are all the same, y'all. Steal it, small. Y'all, yeah, yeah. y'all, y'all. I don't know. I, I don't know. No, you're right, and it's true because I like there are so many different communities and and different oh, it, histories, histories, yeah. culture, language, tradition, all that stuff. Yeah, it's just like saying that all you Asians, even though we're totally different from different countries, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the same thing. So here, let's. Um, I think health wise, like the you know like a health index, like on par with the rest of Canada because our mortality rates are lower than the rest of the country, 
right? Just want to live a little longer. We just want to live a little longer, right? We want we want the same, right? Mm-hmm. We want we want we want to be healthy. We well, want to be happy. When we all did that, that uh, when we were doing that project with MCA, I remember the biggest quote was, "If I don't have my health, I don't have anything." Health is wealth. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is um, land, power, resources. Mm-hmm. LPR. Is that a ter- an acronym there? LPR. I just made it up. No, it's it's something that I learned <laughs> in school. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's, LPR it's for legit for legitimate government. Land, land power, power, and resources. resources. If you had that, and right now, where where are you guys on the land? Well, we're you know we uh, the the queen, the minister of Indian affairs owns the land. Mm-hmm. You know because. If you look at the history, we're, war, we're was, basically wards of the state. So, this is my simplified view of what happened, and I might be really naive with it. Is that okay? And you might—I'm not a historian, nor do I know a lot about uh, what happened, colonialism. But First Nations people occupied Canada. There's nobody else, and hence why we call them First Nations or Indigenous to the land. Yeah. But again, obviously, it came over thousands and thousands of years ago when Alaska and whatever Russia like met, and so it seemed like that's where it came from. What I don't know how the first person even arrived in Canada. Anyways, you guys are here, claimed it, didn't even have to claim it. It's just like, yeah, we're this is it. All of a sudden, Europeans come in. There's a little bit of a tussle. They win because they have bigger arms and uh, more sophisticated technology at the and time. disease. And disease and knocked you out. And so they basically put you on reserve land, which are hard to farm resources, and said, We're gonna put you in these areas. But and we'll give but it, we'll give you some cows and we'll, you know, you, you can start doing your agriculture like the rest of us. But we're gonna take what you guys have been kind of roaming here normally. And and your cows will eat rocks, right? Right, because yeah, cows survive on rocks. Yeah, because it's it's basically rocky land. It's hard farm. It's hard land to farm. Anyways, so we put you. What I would say is in a hole, in some sort of hole, and 150 years later, we're asking to climb out of that hole, and we're giving you some tools, and we're looking not we as in you know yeah. the, the the and you're throwing a shoestring down the hole to say here you can use this to pull yourself up and the group can't pull themselves up and a lot of people are going why the hell can't you get out of this hole we're giving you what you need and you guys are dying in there you guys are fighting internally in there you're trying to get out of this hole and I've tried to explain this to people when they talk about you know oh they get free school and all this stuff and wow like how how could you screw your life up you have so many advantages and quota systems and all and I'm like you don't see the greater picture and when I paint it that way I'm like in my mind that's how the story goes you know be a fast sorry to cut you off you know be a fascinating sort of twist on all this is like you know they used to do trading spaces our trading spouses yeah trading places in that you could just do like you know. Doing a culture swap or whatever. Oh, yeah. Okay, go, you know what? Live in the reserve for five years. <laughs> I, I don't think I can hack it. And then let's see how everything works out for you when you get out. Yeah. Guaranteed you're going to say chronically underfunded, poor infrastructure, low, cell, low health incomes, um, in, in, like no access to you know, clean water, <laughs> right? It's, yeah. Barriers it, to health care. But no, no, no. You sh- you'll be fine. You know, you get, you get free... You you get you get a deal on smokes. 
and a deal on gas. Yeah, you get some cheaper gas. Yeah, yeah. you get, yeah. You get Good luck, boys, some girls. education paid for yeah. if you qualify. Because the big fallacy is or misunderstanding is that everything's free. And that uh, we don't pay tax. Yeah. So what's a, what, clarify, you and I have talked about it, but yeah. exactly what is, what do people actually think and what's the reality? So people think that, I mean, I'm, I'm going to generalize here, but people think indigent in Indians don't pay tax. Because I've heard that. Oh, you guys don't pay tax. But income tax or even just GST and PSD? I've just heard tax. Okay. Okay. So um, there's the only time indigenous people don't pay income tax or the GST or the PST is on reserve land. When it's designated reserve land, that's the only time. So in Saskatoon, there's a few pockets of reserve land. You know, an indigenous person can go there and they won't pay tax. Or if you worked in um, on reserve land in, a, in an office, your your ta- your income your income wouldn't be taxed. But everywhere else we go, I'm paying tax at Canadian Tire, Walmart, um, Home Depot, yeah, and if Albert's you worked, favorite place, Arby's. Like I'm paying tax. <laughs> if you went and worked at Deloitte, downtown, I'm paying tax. And you you're you're a normal person. I just finished a contract. I'm paying tax on that. Oh, that's gross. You're not going to like the bill at the end well, of the Well, I've been paying tax, so that's the whole thing. But man. you didn't pay tax when you were at MCA, right? Ah, uh, yes. No, oh. you're right. I didn't. Okay, so if I worked you pay on... Tax. It doesn't matter. If I worked on reserve. Um, status Indians. So mm-hmm. that, that means that, you know, you're, um, you're designated as an Indian. You're defined as an Indian under the Indian Act. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're an Indian under the Indian Act, and mm-hmm. you work... And, and you're on reserve land. Mm-hmm. Those are the only, that's the only, that's the formula. You, Albert, could work on Indian land, but you would have to pay tax because you're not an Indian. Mm-hmm. A, under, as defined under the Indian Act. Okay. That's reverse racism, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we could have a whole podcast on just the Indian Act, like the, the formula itself. Yeah. Um, so basically, basically what it is, is like you have 6-1 Indians and six two Indians. So a six one would be almost like a full, like a full Indian. A six one is Indian. Six and one a, is full. And a six two is one that can dunk. <laughs> yeah, just two hands though. No, a six two would you know like be one parent was indigenous or one parent was a six one and one parent was a non. Okay. And like so, Jill and I, I'm a six one. Jill's a, a non. Our kid would be a six two. Right. So then, if a six two and a non have a baby together, no more Indian status. Done. Really? That's the formula that government created. But and I again, somebody who's like, oh, but you can get some. What's when somebody says I'm one sixteenth or one eighteenth, they can have some rights or no. some sort of equalization payment or something. There's nothing. No. 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 You ever know? You have to meet that formula. Did I ever tell you about my? Uh, and, and sorry, before you go, before you go on, one of the things about that is they've all like the federal government's always had this policy to eliminate the Indian since John A. Macdonald. It's always been to eliminate the Indian, and that's where residential schools, you know, has played a big role in that and in, in, in culturation. Yeah, John A.'s getting some heat, eh? Like late, lately in the last few yeah, years. But if you read some of the stuff, it's really to uh, eliminate the Indian, and now it's like all these things are some of these things are modern twists on it, right? If you look yeah. at this way, it's you're using. You know, like, you know, I guess, you know, the can, you're using a formula to eliminate Indian status the way it's defined under the Indian Act. To get and, rid and, of and that's, yeah, and then, you know, because, and that, that's sticking in line with, that's sticking in line with historical government policy. 
Did you, do you think there will ever come a time? What where, was your story, by the way? Oh, my story. Uh, <laughs> not story. I just said that uh, whenever you hear of like a model, did I always tell you that if they're, if they're a model and they have a little bit of uh, olive colored skin, they always go, I'm like a quarter Irish, I'm a quarter German, I'm whatever this. And then they always end going by saying, I'm 116th Cherokee. Cherokee. Yeah. <laughs> and it, or, or what's it, or Mohawk or Cherokee. It's, if, it's generally when, Cherokee. Whenever, whenever yeah. somebody says that, yeah. the girl all of a sudden sounds a little hotter. It's like 116th Cherokee. And you're like, ooh, ooh, exotic. <laughs> Isn't it? It always sounds like the 116th Cherokee is, is just a little yeah, yeah, dab yeah. of color and boom, they're exotic. And for the ladies and the fellas, you know, if it's a guy, you think, oh, they're hot too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not just the ladies. Okay, my other question was, do you think there'll ever be a time where we're not going to have to have any crown funding for indigenous People. No, that'll always be there because it's entrenched in the Constitution of Canada. Mm-hmm. But it's do you entrenched. think it will be having there. that? Well, what happens if you're everybody's on par? And this is just a thousand years from now. Everybody's on par in the eyes of everything from equality um, and finances and power and land, power yeah. and resources. And we're still doing that. Do you think that uh, there'd be some sort of uproar of the fact that we're still funding something that doesn't need to be funded? And man, all of these things, I have no idea if I'm being borderline offensive. I don't know. No, no. I I think it's really good that you're asking because these are, again, people probably have been wondering this stuff. Um, People are probably wondering right now, like, why are we funding them in the first place? Which is bananas, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think until the Constitution is amended... It's going to be there, mm-hmm. and it has to be there because that's the country's constitution. Right. Yeah. You know, we're always at, we're already at 56 minutes. Holy smokes. That's crazy. I do I want thought, to ask what you think is next, though, for you. Personally. What do I think is next? Yeah, for you. More couch surfing? No, no. Um, we're borrowing my 2010 Subaru Forester. And cash. How do you like that, by the way? Honestly? Yeah. Okay. I, I like it actually. Yeah, because you you're a Subaru owner. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a Subaru. My wife and I have a Subaru Crosstrack. Yeah, it's 2010. It still holds up though. Like it's it's got very little features. It's got some jam. No, you know what? I think the big thing in the prairies is getting through the snow, mm-hmm. and your vehicle would definitely, I'm sure, it easily handles it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Travis just bought a Subaru Outback. Yeah. And it's coming, and we here when we. Google the because it's it's no secret that these cars are very popular with the lesbian community, and we and he, we were arguing like who's got the bigger typical lesbian car, and uh, it we Googled it and Subaru Forester and Outback were one and two, <laughs> <laughs> and the VW Beetle was like third. I mean that just speaks to what that tells me is that they're practical. Built they, reliable. Uh, they're they're people that are, yeah, know how to spend their money wisely. Yeah, exactly. And they want good value. Not super flashy. Yeah, gets the job done. Yeah, and anytime I see somebody driving my vehicle, it's uh, it's a woman, and yeah. it's also somebody who has a dog in the back, and somebody with gray hair. So yeah, that's yeah, yeah okay. Thankfully, I have confidence because <laughs> that car is not going to get many looks. <laughs> From the ladies, from I don't know. It's a nice car, man. Actually, yeah, yeah it is. A I nice like it. When yeah. you put a canoe yeah. on it, definitely like looks a lot cooler. But... Yeah, it does look badass. Yeah, badass. Yeah. 
Bedassium. Bedazzle. Anyways, what's next? Uh, what's next is I'm going to go back to Ottawa and I'm going to, excuse me, um, just really, I don't honestly, I'm going to go back to Ottawa. That's all I know. You have no idea. You literally have no idea what you're going to do. Isn't nope. that strange that you have no idea where your next paycheck's going to be? Yeah. Um, it is strange and it is kind of weird, but one one of the, like, you know, you hear these, you hear these cliches, like one door closes and another one opens, right? Never heard that. Before. Never heard that? Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway. Shit up. So I, I've kind of like, you know, I'm not, I, I, I'm normally a, a planner. Like, you know, I, I, I've already got things ready to go and I know what I'm going to do next, next, next. Mm-hmm. And this time I just park that and I'm just riding, riding this wave. And I'm also thinking like, Right now, I want to do something that, you know, I'm energized and excited to get out of bed in the morning for. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to just do something that I'm like, ugh. Because I've had, we've all had really terrible jobs. Yeah. Like I think of when I was, I used to work at Superstore and I was the general service clerk and I was the guy that cleaned the washroom. If somebody barfed in the aisle, I cleaned that. And believe me, that happened. That's happened. Or I have to go into the garbage compactor and clean the stuff that's fallen after it's gone outside outside yeah and in the heat and the heat makes it angry it makes it angry yeah so you know and i and i always remember thinking they got the rollerblades like dangling over the edge trying to clean that up no they those guys had it good no so I, i think like you know i i always remember using that as motivation like okay i i'm not gonna do this this is definitely not what i'm gonna be doing and not to say that it's not a bad, you know, there's no, it's not a noble thing to do, but that just for me wasn't what I wanted to do. Okay. So in a scenario, say your emotionally abusive wife, Jill, <laughs> ends up <laughs> making tons of money and you don't have to work. Like, what would you do if you just could do whatever you wanted? And don't give me like a cliche answer. What would it like be a really, oh my job God, that you'd probably, like to do? I'd probably just let Barcelona FC know that I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> I know you got this guy named Misi. I'll say, you know what? I'll tell him to take take five or take a knee. <laughs> I'll handle it because I got a great left foot. <laughs> Lionel Messi. Yeah. But would you? What would you seriously try to do? Would you just? And that it has to be your job because you wouldn't just become a golfer or something. But like, what would you want to do that would? And it didn't. And we had money. Pay- and, and we had yeah, money. And the paycheck didn't matter. Oh, I'd be a philanthropist. I'd be definitely giving back. Oh, that is. That's boring. That's, that's a cliche. I wanted you to say that you wanted to be like the no, no, the play by play guy for like the London Knights or something. <laughs> that's a hard job, man. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying, like something okay. like that. Okay, so you want that? Okay, if I if I could do anything and you know, would make me happy. Okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. I I would, I might be a mailman. Okay. Because you get exercise, you're up early, and you know, I you, honestly know what you would do, and you haven't thought about it yet. You would be a sports card collector. <laughs> you're the only guy that I still know yeah. that collects sports cards, and that's we could have done a full hour about the sports card world. We can quickly do it. No. Real quick. <laughs> Uh, okay, what's your most valuable sports card right now? Oh, jeez, I think I have. I and given the industry has gone down. Okay, quite a bit. not. I'm not going to say most valuable. I'll say the things that I I prize the most are. I have like six LeBron James rookie cards, and they're worth what fifty bucks, twenty bucks. Oh my each. god! The the industry. What's since the brand? Ebay? Is it Opeachy, Upper Deck, Skybox? Well, like 
Oh. Because those are the brands yeah, that I, um, that I remember growing up. Oh my God, what is it? I don't know what it is. Is it the good one though? Is yeah, it's it like, a good one. Because you always have to, there's a It's diff- a good one. You don't want tops. Trains. You don't want tops. Like there was score and there's pro set. You don't want pro set. You, you score for a little bit was okay, but you want upper deck. Okay. You want upper deck. That's so what in the world of sports cards again, like back in the day, Gretzky's was the number one that you could get. Is it, and it was about seven or 800 bucks. And yep. is it, what's the value of that? So it depends like on, that? it depends on a few things like the grade. So, a lot of people now have um, like PSA grading, which would be like professional sports authentication services or P- it's called PSA. And if PSA grades your card and says this is a 10 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10 or 9.4 mm-hmm. out of 10, that will help elevate your, you know. Okay, the, so we're talking, know. do they not use the terms mint anymore? Because mint and near mint uh, were. They, they've, they've now quantified those. Uh, okay. So mint would be 10. Yeah, because near mint would be nine. Mint just right. sounded like some guy in a back alley trying to sell you something, but yet that was the grade back in the day. Yeah, it's it like was. it's mint, near mint. But now you have these third parties that okay. say, and they know. Put so the let's talk about top of the line Gretzky rookie. How much would that cost? I don't know, maybe, maybe probably a thousand to fifteen hundred, maybe. Okay, so it's that still, range. It's still a valuable card. Yeah, it hasn't dipped so low. Yeah, I think. Like where you get where you start getting the money is like a Bobby Orr rookie in good condition. You probably get four to six thousand dollars. So Bobby Orr outside of Gretzky, like is Bobby Orr the more? I most think Bobby. Expensive? I mean, there's some, really, there's some really really old ones. I know Gretzky himself actually bought like a some hockey player from like the 1900s, really, yeah. and that was like uh, maybe a close to a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, okay. And I think they were like those little tiny cards. Yeah. They weren't even card. They're like things that came in like a double bubble. Rapper, they were tiny. I remember the first baseball card, the one that's like a million dollars, yeah, is just in crappy shape, but it's just tiny, it's like the size of your thumb almost. Interesting, but are you it's a, is it all hockey or is there a specific sport? So, I, I stick with hockey because and here's the other thing like, like my mom used to buy me cards because I would ask for them, mm-hmm. and she'd always, I'd always excited, it was always exciting when she left and she'd come home. And she'd have a little pro set. It was oh, pro that set. package and the fact that you, there's like 15 cards in there. And you, you had to open it, it really oh, delicately. Oh, smell, yeah. And, and I learned, honestly, I learned a lot of like, I because I was dedicated and focused. I read those things. That really helped with my reading as a young kid, six years old. Yeah. What was the book again called? Uh, it was Beckett. The, it was the, the Beckett, 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 Beckett yeah. Hockey Guide. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Beckett was the guy that sort of gave you the price amount yeah. for um, like what cards were worth. Yeah. And it went by the year, by the... Um, maker of the card, yeah. Parker's score, Upper yep. Deck, whatever it was, and and then once eBay came, eBay sort of just crushed the Beckett, Beckett guide. The yeah. Beckett guide was no longer the, the pricing standard. Beckett looked like the stock market; they would have arrows right pointing up or down where they're trending up or down. Beckett is basically blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, we should right? actually do a business case study on Beckett. Like, yeah. where are they now? They actually might be really I deep think, into something else. But. I think they're still in it. I think there's there's some there's still some value. But then now you then you have eBay now you have Amazon which has completely it's flooded the market. Yeah. There's so many cards available now and it's really, you know, it's the prices have really taken a hit because historically you'd have a guy like kind of comic book guy that would own a corner store in your town yeah. and you would go there and you'd have these cases, you know, these glass cases you'd be looking at cards and you'd be pining over them. And you know who that guy would have been? You. No. In an alternate <laughs> universe. That's what I said. In an, you okay. Would, you'd be like, how Fitting would it be if you could just be that guy, have guys come in, and you could just talk cards all day, and you didn't have to worry about income, and you didn't have to worry about like your body or your shape, because all those guys 
look the same. It'd be weird if you walked in and the guy was jacked and like was wearing a tank top and was like just veins popping up. You no, the guy has a ponytail. He's obese. He's wearing shorts. And he's got a neck beard. Obviously. <laughs> so you could live your fantasy life. Jill can do anything about it. I don't Oh, she would love that. What, your, love what does your podcast. husband do? He He's a philanthropist. <laughs> Or the always sunny. No, yeah, I can't yeah. say that. <laughs> Anyways, it's already minute six. Um, this is good. Hopefully, uh, you fly out tomorrow. And do you need a ride to the airport? No, I'm going to. What time do you have to get there? I have to be there at seven twenty-five. So man, that's early. No, I've already um, arranged. I've I've got an arrangement. All right. I'm gonna take your car. <laughs> 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 and I'm gonna leave it there. All right. Cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta fill it up after. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Well, it's been fun having you here, man. Um, hopefully, we get to see each other sometime in the summer. But uh, before again. we go, can I give a like a quick plug to who? and a shout out? Yeah, for sure. All right. Okay. So I want to thank my sponsors. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jill. No. Muscle milk. <laughs> Muscle milk. HGH. No. Um, my sister's gonna be listening to this, Tisa. Yeah. So I want to say hi, Tisa. Because she's having a baby right away. She's having a baby, and I'm so incredibly excited. I'm excited. I love Tisa. I miss her. I haven't seen her in a few years since your wedding, but she's just an amazing, positive. You know, just. But she's also where she's living, though. She lives in Belarus now. But she was living in Estonia. Then she was living in Lithuania. What a brave girl! Just Estonia. That's yeah. nuts. I feel like that's the name of a song or something. Oh, Suburbia, right? By Rihanna. Rihanna. Yeah, but yeah. Est- Estonia. Right. No, anyway, um, so I'm. She's gonna be listening. And my other sister Lisa's gonna be listening. I'm, you know, and I want to say a shout out to her as well. For sure. And my well, mom. Hi, mom. This is if we actually air it. Oh, so I'm being quite presumptuous. <laughs> Hey, keep, Jordan, here's keep, the thing, keep man. Going, keep going. Oh, I lost the tapes, man. I lost the tapes. Oh, uh, here's the thing. Anyways, My fridge unplugged. Tisa, Lisa, your mom, your brother, what do you got to say to them? Come, Daddy's coming home. <laughs> I'm going to Disneyland. Or no, my favorite movie is Legally Blonde. Or What did you say yesterday? What were we doing? Today? So Albert was leading a class yesterday at Freedom. Oh, yeah. And he goes, <laughs> to introduce everybody, like sort of an icebreaker, he goes, okay, everybody in the circle... I want your name and I want a favorite, politi- favorite political movie. And then he starts with me. I'm like, Jordan, Legally Blonde. And then everybody in the circle goes, Legally Blonde Legally too. Blonde too. And I stopped. I was like, wait, is Legally Blonde even a political movie? Yeah. I started naming some really good ones from Primary Colors to JFK to the paper. Anyways, I guess that wasn't the crowd. I, had, I wasn't reading the room. You definitely, <laughs> yeah. The, read yeah, the yeah. room, man. Yeah. All right. Anyways, we got to go. We got some wings to eat. Yes, yes. And uh, we'll sign off. So hopefully this will come out in uh, three years from now. When you have Doot, doodle, loot, doot. Thanks for listening. One more thing before you go, though. Please join me in support of my campaign to raise funds and awareness for the Sanctum Group, which is all about supporting people living with HIV AIDS who we all know deserve better. On May 30th, I will be living homeless for 36 hours as my effort to bring awareness and donations to this great cause. For more information on how to help, please go to sanctumcaregroup.com and follow the links to the Sanctum Survivor 2019 Challenge where you can find my page and donate. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.